And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. I have not left in free agency, at least not yet. Neither has my co-host, Eric Green. Eric, what's up, man? You're you're hanging on to that non-guarantee date like it's life and death, eh? Yeah, I mean, if life and death can be uh, melded together with the nap I just took, I think I, I was out for like 30 minutes. Cool. Uh, yeah, I... I I was commenting to you, and then I tweeted about it. Like, not that we have difficult jobs in a lot of ways, but just the last the last seventy two hours, just the amount you have to be thinking about all the permutations of everything. I'm I'm feeling it today. I'm a bit tired. Yeah, to give you some frame of reference, I am staunchly anti nap, uh, as you might expect. They give me panic attacks. I always feel worse after. I considered one today, and then I ran out of time because I've done, as some people may know, uh, I turn hobbies into work, and I had to prep for some Columbia House Party episodes that I'm recording right after this. So, uh, no nap for me. Not a lot of sleep the last couple of days, but it's great. It's uh, I mean, I think everyone knows how much I love the, the draft and the free agent frenzy and stuff. Compressing that all into five days was a little bit much, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the faster I get to update the cap spreadsheet, whew, I'm, I'm here for it. It's, it's beautiful now. We've got all these non-guaranteed second years. Oh, baby. The permutations are, uh, are permutational. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of them. It's We've still wacky. got Nando DiColo on the books as an RFA, that, most importantly. You, re- you really can't ask for much more than that, you I can't. don't think. You can't. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, if you're listening to this, um, welcome. If you're not already a subscriber to the written side of The Athletic, oh boy, have you missed out on a lot of uh, content this week. Luckily... You can catch up. That's not going anywhere. The training camp doesn't start for like seven minutes, so you have uh, you have time to catch up. Uh, things you may have missed. The Raptors drafting Malachi Flynn and Jalen Harris. The Raptors being told by the federal government that they cannot play in Canada to start this season, and they'll play in Tampa instead. Uh, the Raptors losing Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol and turning around and signing Aaron Baines and DeAndre Mabry and re-signing Chris Boucher. Uh, that's a lot. We had you covered for all of that. If you're not a subscriber yet, go to theathletic.com slash we the six. That's the number six. And you can get a subscription for just $1 a month right now. Um, that's back, but only for you, our loyal podcast listeners. So uh, theathletic.com slash we the six. Sometimes if you just click one of our articles on web instead of mobile, the flash sale pops up anyway. But uh, that's the hard link. If not, Eric, before we get into the specifics of who's out and who's in in free agency, uh, how you feeling just about everything in general <laughs> I, I, everything basketball related in general not everything in general i think you have therapy on a on your next zoom call not not this one yeah uh i mean that's obviously where my mind went and that's why i started laughing um i think it's okay i, I think shooting as we expected was uh well compensated this offseason, uh, or better compensated than any other single skill, uh, I believe. I think, uh, you know, what went on with the Raptors, as we'll get into, was certainly uh, jarring, particularly emotionally, even if we were prepared for it potentially coming to pass, uh, but not surprising how, the, the manner and how the Raptors responded to it. And... Like, thinking about the Eastern Conference, like, I think Atlanta is the one team that has notably gotten, especially if Bogdan Bogdanovich ends up going there, uh, he, he signed an offer sheet as a restricted free agent. Like, their their talent has, has certainly gone way through the roof. But other than that, uh, this isn't to say teams won't be better than they were last year, because obviously, especially in Brooklyn, there are injury cases. 
But other than that, I don't think there's one Eastern Conference team that over the last week or, or over the last 10 days has gotten like way better to the point where the Raptors can't even sniff them anymore. So I, I guess that's how I'm, I'm feeling. How about you? Yeah, it's all right. You know, there are some teams that I, I thought have had really nice weeks when you include the draft. The, the, bulk, sure. of those, the bulk of those teams are in the Western Conference. So, um, you know, I, I think I think it was you that pointed out that maybe we're headed, especially with the more balanced schedule this year, maybe we're headed for um, some East teams with some truly awful records. Just uh, a thought? Just a possibility? I think it's probably uh, real. Yeah. Uh, well, you said it's a possibility. I would say it's a maybe even a likelihood. Yeah. Uh, no, in my The in bottom my of most, the East is bad. Yeah. In my most recent uh, article that just went up minutes before we started recording, I, at the end, I sort of put the East into tears uh, as, as it sits now. And the last four teams are just maybe the four worst teams in the league. Uh, and it's going to be, it's going to be ugly, but I mean, what's new? You have just no faith in the Detroit Pistons infinite centers, eh? (laughs) It's, uh, look, uh, you know how much I love James Edwards at the athletic Detroit. I'm glad he got a lot to write about, uh, especially on Friday night. I don't envy his task of having to make sense of that in real time. Yeah, I mean, we were DMing a little bit on Slack, and I was trying to, I was trying to like update a Pistons cap sheet while he was like obviously doing his job and reporting and stuff. And what what a mess that was to to walk through. Yeah, uh, and I, I do get anyway. We don't, this isn't a Pistons yeah. podcast. I don't think they're going to be very good this year. Now, yeah. Um, uh, how does how do your tears in the East change with the news that just came down from Shams Trainee of the Athletic that Taco Fall is back with the Boston Celtics on a two way? Uh, well, I, I guess Boston will lose one more playoff game than they should. Uh, I guess that's the only <laughs> because of because of bad inbound protection. Um, by the way, in your tears, uh, I think you have Brooklyn too high and Philly too low. Uh, yeah, it's fine. Reasonable minds can disagree. Um, All right, so in tracking the Raptors' moves, the first one that came down was that Serge Ibaka has left. He's signing with the Los Angeles Clippers for two years and $19 million. Uh, Marc Gasol soon followed to the Los Angeles Lakers for a two-year minimum deal. Eric, uh, I know that, you know, a lot of the times we separate – fandom from you know the the journalism side of our job quote-unquote journalism since we cover basketball um but uh you know Abaka and Gasol going to the respective LA teams does does that hurt a little bit more if you're the Raptors or does it make it even more understandable because it's quite obvious why these decisions were made like can it be both like it's it's like kind of annoying that Key contributors to the 2019 champion Toronto Raptors continue to sign in Los Angeles, but these are good players, and those are two of the teams with the best chances of winning the 2021 title. So, of course, those teams are hyper aggressively hunting those players, and of course, those players in the back half of their career. Uh, want to go to teams that have a good champion, good chance of winning the championship. Uh, you know, it, it does hammer away at a long-term insecurity about guys not wanting to stay in Toronto that I don't think is, you know, fair, but also three of these guys the Raptors did try to keep. Now, other than Kawhi Leonard, like, they didn't do everything it took to try and keep them, but like they had the high, we can fairly say had the highest salary offer for one season, and now they're going to LA, and that furthers a certain glamour city, glamour location, market type conversation that like you have to realize has a lot of history in Toronto and and many other markets, by the way. Uh, so that part is is definitely annoying. Uh, but saying that, if you know Kawhi Leonard signed in. Miami or New York uh, could be Serge Ibaka going there today instead of L.A. So the where I don't think ultimately matters as much as they're leaving in general. And just 
you know, beyond that, slowly watching the team uh, disappear to where you've only got half of that 2019 playoff rotation back, it's uh, it's a lot to take, especially since, you know, it's very possible the Raptors won't play a game in Toronto this year. <laughs> like, it, it, uh, I had a really dark thought the other day, which I, maybe I'll share later in the playoffs, but, like, it's... It's tough to say goodbye to these guys, especially when you don't get to say goodbye to them. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so. What do we got left? We got Chris Boucher, Kyle Lowry, Patrick McCaw, uh, Norm Powell, Norman Powell, Fred Van Pascal Vliet. Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, and if you want to count OG Ananobi, who didn't play but was obviously a part of the team. Yes, not a lot of that championship team left. Yeah, and like obviously, uh, as I said, like half the rotation, uh, since it was basically an eight-man rotation in the playoffs, and now four of those guys signed in California. Downey Green has since been rerouted to Philadelphia via Oklahoma City. Um, So, I mean, they wanted to bring it back. They tried to bring it back. It didn't end up happening. They pivoted, I I feel, in a pretty intelligent way that preserves some long-term goals, but... uh, it's disappointing. Uh, like, it's disappointing whenever you can't have a, a true run-it-back season. They were already robbed of that. And, and yeah, so it's just a furthering of that. And I don't mean don't think that means this offseason is some great failure. But uh, from an emotional perspective, it, it's certainly tough to swallow. Well, here's what I'm going to share with you that's really going to just twist that knife even more. When Malcolm Miller signs a non-guaranteed minimum with the Clippers, uh, take one I, more of the Raptors' rings. Yeah, uh, yeah, that uh, I think that would personally hurt us more than the Raptors fans. Yes, uh, well, former one-time we, co-host of this podcast. Yes, uh, was he a co-host or was I on with? No, you weren't on. No, okay. Anyway, great dude. Yeah. Um, he was also just on the Dishes and Dimes podcast, and it was really good. So uh, check check that podcast out. Uh, I hope he hope he finds a landing spot. Uh, Me too. The, anyway, yeah. Uh, so Abaka and Gasol, um, you know, Abaka signing two years at the mid level. Uh, it was reported that the Raptors offered one year twelve. I had thought the Raptors might offer a little more than that on a one year, um, but I mean, really, especially with the relationship Abaka and Masai have always had. You know, I could see that conversation having been pretty straightforward of like, this is our plan for the season. This is what things are going to look like. This is what the money in the role might be for you. Uh, if you really want to chase a ring and that second year player option and the 19 million total guaranteed is really important to you, you know, we'll understand. But let's not negotiate here. Let's just end amicably. Um, you know, maybe I'm projecting because I would like that to have been the case rather than, you know, Serge leaving unhappy or something like that. Uh, but I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, like the Raptors, even with Ibaka and Gasol back, like best case scenario is probably something that looks like last season, but they come through against Boston. Um, now I'm not writing off, you know, a potential finals run as something not worth chasing. I just mean, both of those guys would have been a year older and this, you know, since the moment Kawhi got acquired, We've been talking about this coming season as a transition year for the Raptors, likely between eras, um, and all of their moves suggest that they feel similarly. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is, like, do you understand it from Ibaka and Gasol's side? And, um, you know, I guess I guess what I'm really getting at here is you said that the Raptors, you know, probably didn't do everything they could to keep these guys. But did they do everything that you would have been comfortable with them doing? Uh, like, like, would had you changed your mind by the end of this that they should have given Ibaka or Gasol an extra year or anything like that? No. Um, I think they were correct in only offering them one year. Uh, now, if 112 was the offer, like I, like, I myself would have gone higher. And the significance of that number... Uh, is basically they could have kept most of the mid-level exception intact to chase another key part. And it was actually like a very... uh, Again, I'm not reporting this, um, but that would be a move to actually increase short-term competitiveness, not not decrease it. Yeah, now Uh, my counter to that would be that you technically could have given Ibaka... You know, like there's ways to 
get there if you really need to. But I think in a transition year, you know, the time for attaching a pick to a salary to get out from under it is probably past. So yeah, you could clear up another $4 million in flexibility by paying someone with cap space a second to take on Stanley Johnson. Uh, but one of the prime targets to do to take on such a player, the Detroit Pistons, uh, first of all, already had Stanley Johnson, and second of all, uh, don't think Reunion. he's not a center. So what, what use would the Pistons have for him? Yeah, I, I mean... I, so, and, and, and like, as you and I have mentioned before, your tax obligation is determined by uh, your salary on the last day of the season, not the start of the season. So you could have wiggled under, but there's also apron implications and stuff like that. Um, they they could basically what I'm saying is they could have found a way to give a Baca more than 12 and still use the mid level, but jumping through all these hoops to do that, given what they ended up being able to do at the center position, given what their priorities are this year and next, um, you know I think it's understandable. Yeah, it I like suck, I, yeah exactly. Like I I think they like I wrote on on Sunday on Sunday on Sunday <laughs> whatever day that was. Like, they came to a cold decision, as is their jobs. Like, I don't mean that as a negative. Like, they, too, are thinking about the possibilities of winning a championship and how to keep or keep windows open or keep a future window potentially open. And they're trying to, you know, keep a lot of, a, a few balls in the air at the same time. And like you said, the ceiling of a team that had everybody back from last year uh again like that they could have made a finals run you wouldn't have predicted it but it was on the table uh but frankly it was pushing it and you had to more than the money you owe these guys honesty and i think uh you know i i would believe that they were uh you know marcus all goes for basically the minimum uh, for two years to L.A., and that's not the first time he's given up money to, to try and win. Gave up money to come to Toronto. Exactly. That's exactly what I was referring to, uh, Blake. Uh, so you can't, you can't, uh, you can't hate it. Uh, it can be disappointing. I, I would have loved to see Mark back. Uh, I know a lot of fans were less excited about or less upset about Mark leaving than Serge. Uh, I think there are many reasons that we don't need to discuss uh, that that <laughs> you know explain away that. But you can't you can't be mad at them. And I think the Raptors basically we could split hairs here, but basically have the right in, right approach in mind by not extending multiple years to either of those guys. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, before we transition to who the Raptors got, what I want to ask you, Eric, is uh, Marcus and Serge Ibaka, by way of being part of the championship team, by way of just being generally likable human beings in general, uh, hence me saying generally twice, <laughs> uh, I feel like they are going to, I, I feel like Gasol especially is going to have kind of this outsized, you know, when Sean Woodley five years from now does his annual ranking of all-time Raptors, like Gasol was here for only high leverage moments. No. Uh, Abaka was here a little longer, but he had some defining playoff moments earlier. Um, you know, I think so much of his growth as a personality came in Toronto. Like, I, I think Abaka in a short time has put himself pretty high. Like, he only played to only played 228 games as a Raptor over three and a half years. But I feel like in terms of likability and visibility in the franchise history, he's going to be you know, if not in the top 10, he's going to be close. Like both of us drafted him on our all-time Raptors teams when we were doing that roster thing. Um, and obviously that's 30 guys. That's not 10 guys, but I, I feel like he's going to be up there. So what, what I want to ask uh, before you move to who's here now is uh, what are your, we'll do Ibaka first. What is going to be your defining memory of Serge Ibaka as a Raptor? Uh, I think game seven against Philly. Uh, I think. Oh yeah. This, the pull up over Ben Simmons. Not, I mean, that shot, but also, like, the Raptors were kind of shook in that game. Like, they, their offense was not working. Kawhi, I think, finished with, what, 39 shots in that game? Like, uh, it was, it was not a pretty game, and there was a lot of hesitation uh, from a lot of guys, and Serge wasn't hesitating. So if you want to say a single shot, like, 
sure that shot, but I, I thought just his whole demeanor and the fearlessness with which he played uh, was really important, and it, it went on to be really important for the rest of that run. And, and then, like, for that to carry over into, you know, his best shooting year in the NBA is pretty damn impressive uh, at, at the age, uh, at, at 31, and the way his game grew, forget what he did off the court, and, and obviously, you know, that will be a huge part of his legacy, but the way his game grew, if we think back to 2018, uh, when the famous, uh, what was it called? Now I've forgotten, Culture Reset? Culture? Yeah. Uh, like, Surge was the guy who was coming along slowly with that. He mm -hmm. was the guy who couldn't figure out the path. Like, Yotis was doing great, and nobody thought that. But Surge was the guy who couldn't f make the next pass. And, like, over the course of the next few years, he really figured it out. And uh, I, I think, so, yeah, the one memory, I think, Game 7 against Philly. But overall, just, like, the narrative arc of his both on-court and off-court uh career are, are really things that will stick with me i've got uh i'm gonna share two here uh they are both well one is kind of on the court but not really uh and it's when he like wrung marquis chris by the neck <laughs> and well yeah, that's I my think, that's my favorite story i wrote yes his uh all about all his missed punches why can't a Baca land a punch <laughs> which uh, i was not I, I i should say never i would say uh, he has never yet tried to punch me over that story so i am eternally thankful to surge for that that's good uh i think my other one that'll stick with me is in the 2017 2018 season so this was kind of like this was pre how hungry are you Serge still wasn't like really there yet as a personality. He was still a little prickly with us. This was before he did Danny Green's podcast talking <laughs> about how. Yeah. This is before he did Danny uh. Green's podcast talking about how we make so little money that that changes perspective on us. <laughs> and I was having the locker room had cleared out, and I was just like kind of having a personal conversation with CJ Miles. Um, and Serge like came out, and uh, it was so it was just the three of us in the locker room, and he engaged in that conversation. We were talking about. Um, we had been talking. I had been talking with CJ about you know the social media side of things for a player or a player's family, and it was the first time. Oh no, the Pelicans signed Wenyan Gabriel, another one of my camp flyers. Mm, sorry. Um, it was the uh, the first time I had really, really like had a personal conversation with Serge and heard him kind of open up in a personal way. And I won't share any of the details of it, but um, that was kind of in retrospect like a glimpse that he was starting to open up with, with us. And then obviously, you know, a lot of that was self-directed for him. But yes, also what you thought I was going to say, the whole thing about him realizing how little we made and that <laughs> he should be nicer to us as a result. Yeah, that, that's what they should tell rookies at uh, the rookie symposium about yes. dealing with the medium. Yeah. Just, so just, that be, minimum just contract feel you're pity. On? Yeah. <laughs> that minimum contract you're on, cut that, you know, by 12 or 15. <laughs> Uh, all right, Eric, same question for Marcus Gasol. Um, it's actually a story that one of our colleagues wrote, Eric Nim at... Uh, Eric Name? Eric Nim? Name. Uh, at The Athletic Milwaukee, who talked to Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, after the Raptors eliminated them in 2019. Uh, he talked to Giannis sort of about what he learned and... He talked about, like, dreaming about seeing Kawhi and Gasol smothering him in, in, like, traps or in those situations. And, like, seeing them, he didn't use the word nightmares, I don't think. But that's how it came across. And I think, like, that's it, right? Like, this guy knew how to defend at such a next level, uh, such a different level to what we've seen before from the center position. It, it wasn't just the one-on-one, -on -one, you know, slowing down Joel Embiid, although obviously that, you know, zero-point Embiid performance from the beginning of last season stands out, uh, and, you know, every game against Joel Embiid more or less over, over that run stand out. It was just the IQ on that end. Um, the hug with Joel Embiid after Game 7 and then uh, being one of a few reporters to talk to him about it, uh, uh, before the Milwaukee series started, that was, you know, I think that got a lot about a lot, showed a lot who Mark was as like a person, as you know, as, as a player, as you know, he he 
really thinks about the world in a broader context. He really shows empathy in a lot of ways. And uh, he's just uh, one of the more sort of wise, one of the wiser raptors I can remember. Uh, And again, that's on the court, but even more so off the court, I would say. Uh, I'm going to take your your defensive one about the traps and flip it to the offensive side. And I forget which game this was. It was in the relaunch. And there was a play where Gasol, as he did so often this year, just like passed up the widest open of (laughs) wide open threes. And I was like, I don't get demonstrative when I'm watching games, but I was like hands on my head like, why? And then the play developed to where uh, I forget who I forget who it was. I want to say it was Van Vliet, but an even better three point shooter ended up with like an even better look at a three. And it was just like like that doesn't excuse Gasol not shooting a lot of the time. But it was such a good snapshot of like Marcus Gasol is smarter than everyone else at basketball. Just don't doubt what he's doing and what he's seeing. And like that's an extreme example. But that was like that happened two or three times a game where Gasol did something and you were like, well, I didn't even see that as a possibility. Uh, you know, as I was watching it unfold. So, um, yeah, just such a next level thinker of the game. Yeah. Uh, and I know fans are frustrated. Uh, not all fans. A lot of fans were frustrated him at him by him uh, as the season wound down. And as last season started, he really did struggle offensively in m- many ways. Uh, but, you know, I'd say he's more likely than not to end up in the Hall of Fame, uh, especially because of his double championship year. Uh, and just, again, uh, such a great thinker of the game. It was watching, I, I think watching him and Kyle Lowry on the same team spoiled both of us in terms of like basketball IQ and getting to appreciate that every night. Sure did. All right, uh, let's transition to who is inbound then, because if uh, Ibaka and Gasol are out, the Raptors have a need in the front court. They started to address that need first by signing Aaron Baines, then re-signed it. Well, I don't know if they actually did it in this order, but this is the order it was reported in. Uh, they signed Aaron Baines, they re-signed Chris Boucher, uh, they then signed Alex Len and DeAndre Bembry. Baines, Boucher, and Bembry all have one-year deals with uh, second-year non-guaranteed, which not only gives the Raptors an out for 2021 flexibility, it also makes them potential trade assets um, at in this kind of window of time next year, where we saw guys like Trevor Reza and Darius Miller get their deals guaranteed for the purposes of uh, making a trade possible. Uh, so they're, you know, it's basically the second years are no downside. And in the case of Baines and Boucher, the Raptors did pay a little bit more on year one for that right um, from the looks of, of the contracts. Alex Len is a straight one year deal at about two million and change. Um, so we can, I, I, Baines is the big one to talk about because he figures to, uh, at least the way it looks right now, probably factor in as the starter. Baines is a guy who has turned himself into a semi-decent three-point threat on reasonable volume over the last couple of years. Uh, He is, as far as replacing Marc Gasol's screen setting goes, probably the closest thing you could have gotten. He draws charges at a Gasol-slash-Lowry rate. And then the big thing that he does that I think uh, will will obviously help the Raptors is every season of his career except for one, he has had at least a 75th percentile impact on defensive rebounding for a big. So I, I may a culpa here. In my write-up, I called Baines an above-average rebounder, which probably undersells it. As someone in the comments pointed out, by five-year RAPM, he has the highest defensive rebounding impact. Cleaning the glasses stats aren't quite that rosy, but he's been between 75th and 96th percentile driving uh, defensive rebounding in all but one year of his career. And when I say driving defensive rebounding, what I mean is that it's not necessarily him that's grabbing the rebounds, but because he's a good box out guy, because he does grab his share of rebounds, uh, the team tends to rebound very, very well with him on the floor. And I I will just say to add to that, uh, while he is not, you know, you're the... Similar to Gasol not being a traditional rim protector, uh, Aaron Baines has had a pronounced impact in five of the last six years uh, on opponent shot frequency at the rim. So um, he is in the deterrent class of rim protector where he might not block a ton when it gets there, but you have trouble getting there. 
against Aaron Baines. And, and that spreads across four different teams over the last six years. So this is not a, a system-oriented thing. He had success with that in San Antonio, Detroit, Boston, and Phoenix, and probably will in Toronto. Uh, Aaron Baines, as far as a plan C for your center position on the free agent market, not bad, Eric. Yeah, I think he replicates some of the things that both players do. Uh, obviously not the at-the-rim rim protector that that Ibaka is in his best moments. Uh, he's just not as brilliant as Gasol is, and that, that means not always being in the right place instead of being in the right place, you know, 8.5 or 9 times out of 10 as opposed to perfect. Um, but I think in terms of, you know, spending that available money, it was a wise expenditure. I would say my concern is that it's not only about Baines, it's about everybody, is they don't really have a guy who has logged those starting center minutes consistently Mm -hmm. over the course of his career. Now, I think the Raptors are going to play small more often than not, so that's not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, something that's going to kill them or anything like that, but... None of these guys, uh, with exception, I think Alex Lloyd had one 1,800-minute season, but none of these guys have logged those heavy minutes and done it all all year, uh, obviously. I mean, Len had five seasons of 1,300 yeah. or more, which yeah. is like, you know, Len's, Len's played a role. Yeah. Um, Baines, that was a couple years ago now. Yeah, but yeah. If, they, if he's doing that, something will have gone wrong, probably, for the Raptors, Uh but that's why they've brought him in. He's a good mm-hmm. insurance policy and has a bit more upside. But to stick to Baines, like his shooting, as I, I do remember that game you wrote about in your piece <laughs> on Sunday when he, he just, had never hit a three yeah, before. Yeah, he just started to hit. I think I was there. It was in Boston, right? I think so. Yeah, I think I was at that game, and he just started to pop. I think they were corner threes. And... Well, he hit three mid-range jumpers, like like Serge Ibaka pick and pop elbow yeah. jays yeah and, then, and i i, I and vaguely then remember there. having the conversation on media row and looking how many threes he had hit before that game and it was not very many and and since then like he went like uh, about 35 percent on six and a half per uh, attempts per 36 minutes last year so i you know that's more threes than either abaka or gasol took in case you're worried about that um which is a big part because we've we heard how often Nick Nurse said that just the threat of a guy shooting and of all of the players on his team shooting or on the floor at the same time shooting is a very real thing in terms of getting a defense to uh, you know, fold a little bit or collapse a little bit or, or, or put it on edge. So I think... I think he's a like you said, for, for the I don't care what the first year price is. There's no opportunity cost here as far as I'm concerned, or, or almost no opportunity cost that that money couldn't have been spent in a, a more effective way, or in a notably more effective way, I, I should say. So who cares what you're paying him in the first season? Like, uh, that's not a thing. Yeah, maybe you're going to come up with some cap mechanic, you know, way now about why it is important, but... Uh, it's also important for potential trades, like, uh, yep. you know, putting together, if something presents itself, the fact that Chris Boucher and and Aaron Baines are making a bit more scratch than they might otherwise on uh, without having a second guaranteed year, that's going to matter too. Uh, so I like the Baines signing. Uh, I, and my final thought is I really remember him giving Jonas Valanciunas a hard time. Uh, so he will give similar centers a hard time when that is his job. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah. Uh, so within that, I will say, no, there's not really a, a good cap reason to not have given um, Baines that money. What I will say is uh, I figured Alex Len would be a minimum contract. Grange said he was getting the last of the mid-level exception. The difference there is really small in financial terms. But say they wanted to say Paul Watson kills it this year and they want to uh, convert him and sign him to a multi-year minimum contract or, or Jalen Harris kills it and they want to do that with him. Well, you can only go two years on those contracts unless you have a sliver of your exception left. Uh, you can go to three or four if you have that slice of mid-level exception. So you're talking about the difference between Fred Van Vliet being a free agent after two years and Dewan Hernandez and Matt Thomas being free agents after three. Uh, if you're talking about team control and, and uh, all those anti-labor terms, you, you would want <laughs> those guys on um, multi-year you would want them on cheap deals. You you want to go as far as the hinky special if you can, the four-year non-guaranteed minimums. Um, but uh, you you know you would like that little bit of extra flexibility. That was so, that was Robert Covington's first deal, right? Am I making I that up? I believe so. Yeah, it was the one KJ McDaniel's turned down and then got three years, ten million from the Rockets instead. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Alex Len. So let's talk about Len because we're looking at Len and Baines in, in kind of the same breath here because they are filling the same role you talk about how nick nurse likes everyone on on the court to be able to shoot uh len has shown that over a much much smaller sample alex len takes most of his shots at the rim um and you know he's alex len's season was weird because he he was like by advanced metrics like just freaking awesome with the kings last year in 200 minutes uh bigger sample he's been like a slight positive player driving team performance on bad teams, which is, you know, better than hurting team performance on bad teams, but it's hard to pull much out of there. Um, The things that he does do though, again, this is another guy who is going to help uh, the team on the glass, at least, uh, at least a little bit. Uh, He doesn't foul a ton for uh, his type of, of big man play, which is, uh, a little surprising because I thought I was expecting for sure for him to uh, be a high foul guy. And then like Baines, uh, elite, elite rim deterrence numbers over his last couple seasons. Uh, he also has had good, actually just straight up rim protection numbers. Uh, so don't sleep on Alex Len as a, a rim protecting center because no, he's not, you know, he's not Marcus Gasol and, and Serge Ibaka maybe, but he has had really strong impacts on how his teams the last couple years are able to uh, keep the rim off limits for opponents, which is a really important part of the Raptors' strategy. Uh, they sell out to protect the rim, and we've talked a ton about how that results in corner threes and stuff like that, but the rim is their priority, and, and Lennon Baines both both fit that. Yeah, he's a pure drop-back guy in terms of defensive coverage, uh, and so that will limit them in, in certain ways. Of course, the Raptors have some of the best perimeter defense in the league. So not such a big deal necessarily. Uh, or you could certainly afford it uh, with a guy like like Len. Like Len. Oh, man. Not Len. Jeremy Len is still unsigned. Hmm. Um, so I, I thought, uh, as I, I tweeted and I put it in my story, like when I was thinking about them potentially using their final spot as it stands now, that could change with Terrence Davis and Dewan Hernandez, both still uh, their, their guarantee date or, or is it their guarantee date or their, does it all become guaranteed on Sunday or does yes, it? Yes. For those two, that's not uniform across yeah. every contract, okay. but in the case of those two, it, it is effectively, it's not this because there are cap reasons not, but yeah. for the, the purposes of a fan listening, it is basically a team option on the weekend. Yeah. So th- if they can cut them before Sunday with no uh, penalty, and that would allow them to open up another roster spot if that's what they want to do. Uh, but as I was writing about them filling that for now, the final roster spot, he was the guy who I liked most. Uh, and that he was available at that price is good. Uh, it's positive that he has helped bad teams. Uh, he's only really been on bad teams. I believe, uh, Atlanta, Phoenix, Sacramento, 
Those teams haven't been good in a while, so it's safe to bet he's only been on bad teams. Uh, maybe one of the, the Suns teams he was on was semi-frisky. Uh, but, yeah, like, as, a, as, a, as you said, as a third center, fifth big type, he's uh, perfectly cromulent. Uh, and I don't, I don't mean like, I I think he's actually an actively good signing and uh, yeah, I I think. uh, And and like, you know, I, I tweeted out that like, Hey, if Len is your, the way I framed it was three C slash fifth big. And that's, that was strictly because, you know, some people still like to consider Boucher a center, or you could certainly see the Raptors closing some games with OG as the center. Um, but yeah, like Lennon Baines is not a terrible center rotation. I would say neither of them is probably the quality level of like unquestioned starter, but they're both like quality backups. And if you have two quality backups and you have the ability to play small and you have a change of pace guy in Chris Boucher, uh, you're probably in okay shape, not Abaka Gasol. Boucher shape from the last two years, but not not terrible. Uh, Boucher, by the way, got re-upped, which is on the personal side, great to see a guy who came to basketball late, um, dealt with um, underhousing as a as a teen in Quebec, found his way to Oregon, then tore his ACL in his draft year. This will be his fourth pro season. He's about to turn 28, and he'll now uh, he now finally gets that payday on a one year deal with a non guaranteed second year. Um, great to see it from the personal side. This is a guy who two years ago told me before the season that he was going to win G League Defensive Player of the Year and MVP both and said it like it was the most obvious eventuality in the world and then he did it. Um, So that lets you know the confidence at play. He reined in his usage rate last year, which uh, was always going to be a question mark. You know, it's a question mark with a lot of the, the top G League guys is can you adjust your role to the NBA? Boucher scaled back his usage rate. Um, His block rate came down as he played more minutes, but he was still in the 92nd percentile among big men uh, per cleaning the glass. Uh, Great, great, great offensive rebounder, uh, energy guy in the open court. Uh, And, you know, I I actually think you look at the roster and you look what some of these second units might look like with either Boucher playing center in a Lowry and Bench unit or Boucher playing the four alongside a Len or a Baines. Maybe we are okay with Chris Boucher letting that usage tick back up. Like maybe, maybe let it fly, Swatterboy. Um, I think they're going to let him at least for a little bit. Uh, obviously, you want him making the right decisions, and yeah. he's not a good a, shooter. Yeah, but yeah, if there's yeah. a go- but who knows? Like that, I, I I also bet. Like one of the things they told him is, if you're back, like since you're so willing to shoot, you better become a better shooter. So, like, uh, like, that, like that's he, something they've worked on with guys before, and it's improved. So Yeah, it's weirdly, like, it's something that, um, and this was more in his dominant G League season. I, I would get people asking me and, and, like, talking about Boucher as a stretch five, and he shot 29.9% over his uh, pretty good sample in the G League. Not a huge sample, um, but bigger than the one he's had in the NBA. And in the NBA, he shot 32.1%. And that that's never, he's never shot better than 32% at any level. Um, so this idea that he's a stretch five or even a stretch four isn't there. But if you, you know, the fact that you will take them is important. And then we know what he can do defensively, the way he flies around and uh, can impact shots outside the three-point line and at the rim. Um, so you do have kind of this like, stretch-ish and rim-protect-ish guy who's kind of positionless. I don't know. Boucher's fun. Everyone knows Boucher's fun at this point. I think seeing him climb from 12 or 13 minutes to 18 or 19 minutes is going to be a lot of fun. And like with Baines and Len and Bembry, you know, it's hard. This is effectively a one-year deal with a cap wrinkle on the back end. And it's really hard to re-sign one of your own guys to a bad deal. Yeah. Uh, I... I... I'm just happy for the guy, and for sure, I, I think. Look, on the whole, we talked about the if this did happen, and I didn't think it would. I thought one of Gasol or Ibaka would take that semi-inflated one-year price. Um, but we talked about how it was a recoverable thing for a year, and I think they. I mean, we'll see how they do. I, I've had a few people say they've really lost it at the center position. It's going to hurt them badly, and I'm not. I'm not ru- ruling that out. But I think this is a type of situation we envisioned when we said, you know what? If there's one position where you have to be unsure about, 
as you try to stay competitive. Uh, if it, it were, it'd be one thing if they didn't care about how good they were, but they do care about how good they are. Um, this is the position which you figure out on the fly in the short term. And I think they did a decent job. Uh, For sure. And I want to see a little bit of like, like I'm not, you know, we, this has been one of the things that you and I haven't aligned on over the last couple of years is I like big lineups. I like trying two center lineups or a little more traditional size. And, and, you know, I'm just as excited to see OG and Pascal playing two, three last year as four five, but I do want to see, and I think it's worthwhile to see, you know, they didn't invest in a center solution here, right? Um, long-term. So I do think as much as it's absolutely going to be worth, um, you know, seeing what Boucher can do in a bigger role for sure. Seeing if Dewan Hernandez can give you anything, you know, I don't, I don't think you're evaluating Baines for future years cause he's, uh, my age and it, you know, he's, he's probably in his decline phase, but you can, you, there's also utility in seeing what's there with, you know, OG at center a little bit more. Or if you don't want to classify OG as the center, you know, you go OG Pascal with a third wing or third forward on the floor, whatever those lineups look like, you know, see how much utility is there over a larger sample. Uh, one more name to talk about before we go here, Eric, the Raptors also added DeAndre Bembry, a 26-year-old wing, a good passer for the wing, very willing passer and very uh, <laughs> low-usage guy in recent years, which is right up my alley. Not a shooter. Um, he's kind of macaw-ish, like macaw with a little bit more size. Um, what do you think of, of Bembry and his fit? I, I personally, I've always really liked Bembry. I like passing wings who don't, don't and can't shoot um everyone knows this about me at at this point um but i think you know my first thought was that he's yeah like i said he's he's a similar statistical profile to macaw a little bigger and, and probably um you know a better playmaker and stuff the big thing is is that bembry because of his size and i think he's a better uh, just a better defender in general, you know, McCall, a lot of the time when you, when we talk about the defense he provides, we, or Nick nurse have added caveats around, like it doesn't show up in the stats. Well, Bembry's do. He's always had an elite block rate for his position. He's had an elite steal rate for his position. Uh, he's a very good rebounder for his position. So when you're looking at, you know, this type of, okay, well, he's basically a three and D without the three. It's right. uh it's not, and he plays with a little bit of chaos. It's not like imagine somewhere between McCaw and Rondé Hollis Jefferson, but better than those guys by a little bit. Uh, I mean, I don't Is know if fair? he's bad. I don't know if he's better than Rondé. Um, but I feel I, like his the extra playmaking he provides makes him easier to work into the offense. Yes, that might be true. I don't know that his overall utility is greater than Yeah, than like Rondé, I don't think he maybe. can guard centers like yeah. Rondé can, yeah. but I do think he can guard a couple positions and like the when you when you're checking off elite for the position steal block offensive and defensive rebound rates like there's, there's something there over multiple Yeah, I, the one thing I'll say is like maybe I would have preferred them to swing a little offense heavy versus defense heavy with this type of signing. Uh, and I don't, I really don't have any guys in mind. Uh, I, um, so, and in general, you pay more for offense than you pay for defense. Yeah. So they, they I, I also think this is maybe like you, we could frame this as this is a, it, it's not even offense or defense. Like they wanted a high IQ guy. Like I think they, there's at least a little concern about Gasol leaving it and some of the, IQ that leaves with that and Ibaka leaving and some of the kind of institutional knowledge that leaves with that. And yeah. you add another smart guy that makes the plug and play a little easier. Yeah. And uh, like maybe you, that's some of the thinking there too. You look at the wing, like it's OG norm. And then a bunch of question marks basically. I mean, if you count Pascal, then Pascal's there, but there's like a lot of uncertainty about, you know, what Matt Thomas can do over the course of a year uh, if he's given a bigger role, if Terrence Davis will even be here. Um, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that this guy is going to be playing pretty uh, significant minutes for them. So that's uh, that's definitely a factor. I, I, you know, on balance, I like the signing. But, you know, for a team last year that the questions were mostly on offense, uh, I can see that still being the case (laughs) i mean we talked about in our last episode like why it was so important for them to prioritize that through the draft right like like i i think that whatever they say publicly you know malachi flynn and and jalen harris are both guys who if they hit and if they develop 
are guys who can help some of that half court shot yeah. creation. And obviously they have not addressed that with these signings. You know, Bain's a great screen setter who could shoot a little bit. Len can be a rim runner. Bembry's a decent passer. Boucher is Boucher. Um, they haven't directly addressed that, but I mean, they kept everything clean for 2021. Uh, I have to go. That is a big talking point for whenever we next reconvene is, um, and, and I think we're probably going to do a written version of Raptors Reasonableist talking about that. Um, in the coming days is, you know, the Raptors very clearly operated like a team with eyes on 2021 here. And some of that is once a Bach and Gasol left, there just weren't a lot of guys you'd want to give multiple years to, um, you know, unless you're me and would have given multiple years to Chris Dunn, Harry Giles and Dwayne Bacon to, to fill out the roster. Uh, and then everyone would have been really mad. If you think people were mad about Baines, Bembry, Len and Boucher on one year deals. Whew. Uh, anyway, we gotta, we'll address that and, uh, believe it or not, training camp starts next week. So we're going to have to tee that up too. Uh, we will talk to you again soon. As a reminder, theathletic.com slash we, the six, that's the number six. If you're not already subscribed, you can get a subscription for a dollar a month there, uh, or a dollar a week there. Uh, Eric, thank you so much, man. Thanks, Blake. See ya. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.